And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. The Old Testament book of Joel will be our focus again today. We will see more truths about the day of the Lord. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Well, let's see what Zephaniah the prophet says about the day of the Lord. Further into the Old Testament, let's go to the prophet Zephaniah, not Zechariah, but Zephaniah the prophet. All of these prophets, by the way, ministered to Judah because the 10 tribes of Israel were obliterated when they went into captivity in Assyria in 722 BC. What was left were the two southern tribes that we call Judah, and they had went into Babylonian captivity. But when these prophets ministered, they ministered to the nation of Judah, the two tribes, after the Babylonian captivity. And they thought, well, everything is going to be all right. God spanked us once in Babylon. Surely he's not going to spank us again. Well, that was not right. Because they didn't repent of their sins. They had another day of the Lord to anticipate that wasn't a day of brightness and light, but a day according to uh, Amos of gloom and darkness. So what did Zephaniah, God's prophet Zephaniah, what did he say about this same concept of the day of the Lord? Well, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, we're going to see. He writes, Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Wow. That is a strong description of this day of the Lord. Did Jesus Christ have anything to say about this period called the day of the Lord? Yes, he did. If you go over to the New Testament, and if you go over to Matthew, particularly the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, let's see what Jesus said about the day of the Lord. And we'll start reading at verse 29. But immediately... After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Jesus is describing the day of the Lord as including his second coming. His second coming ends the seven years of tribulation and ushers in the thousand years of millennial kingdom or the millennium. 
Just to think of it, there are two installments of Jesus' returns. The first installment is the rapture return. The next thing we prophetically expect in this age is that Jesus Christ will rapture his church. Comes from the Latin term rapturio, which means to catch up. So Jesus Christ at any time now will come for his church, catch us up in the air to meet him and thus ever be with him. Therefore comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians 4. And that rapture return of Christ, which will be missed by most of the world because it will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Medically, that's five sixteenths of one second. And because Jesus in the rapture return does not come to actually put his feet on planet earth, it will be missed by the great majority. Oh, they'll see the people who have been raptured don't come to work anymore and stop making their mortgage payments. But the actual event won't be seen by much of the world. After the rapture return of Christ, seven years of unprecedented outpouring of God's wrath will take place. You read about that period of time called the tribulation in Revelation chapters 4 through 19. But what Jesus just talked about in reference to the day of the Lord in Matthew 24 is that that seven years of judgment day of the wrath will end when Jesus Christ comes Another time, different to the rapture return, he'll come the second time and it will be visible to all the world. See it there? Verse 30. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Why will the angels gather believers from worldwide places? Because they'll be brought into the kingdom of Christ. That's the actuality for which we pray in the Lord's model prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not yet in the kingdom of Christ because God's will is not done on earth like it's done now in heaven. If you doubt that, did you hear what Mrs. Thomas said this morning from the Pregnancy Crisis Center in Matamoros? That since Roe v. Wade legalized abortion in America, 54 million American babies have been killed in their mother's wombs. What God designed to be the safest place on earth, a mother's womb, has become the most dangerous place on earth in America. I long with you for the day when God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that awaits the second coming of Christ that ends the day of wrath of the tribulation. So this theme, the day of the Lord, is a major theme in the whole of the Old Testament, and it's also mentioned in the New Testament. But going back to the day of the Lord as a major theme of the Old Testament, it is mentioned 19 times. 19 times in the Old Testament, this concept of the day of the Lord is referenced. And those 19 times are written by eight different Old Testament authors. Eight different men moved to the Spirit of God to write Old Testament scripture, wrote about the day of the Lord. Who are they? Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel that we're studying, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, and Malachi. These eight Old Testament prophets all speak of the day of the Lord. It must be a big deal. It must be important. The day of the Lord primarily does not reference a certain date on a calendar. 
Instead, it references a general tone of God's wrath and judgment on sin. The day of the Lord references a general tone which uniquely showcases God's character traits, namely of might and holiness and terror for his enemies. The day of the Lord is not always eschatological. That's a fancy $5 word for future end times. The day of the Lord is not always a reference to end times events like the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. Sometimes it refers to that, but not always. Sometimes the day of the Lord is a reference to the past, to historic outpourings of God's wrath and judgment on unrepented for sin. The day of the Lord is often accompanied by seismic disturbances, violent weather, clouds and thick darkness and cosmic anomalies. Weird things going on in God's creation. To say that creation, because the creator created it, creation is, is shaped by God to do weird things during the day of the Lord so that people who live on earth when the day of the Lord is being poured out notice. Remember when Jesus was being crucified for our sins? And it went jet black, night black in the midday of Palestine for three hours while he bore our sins on himself and shed his blood to pay for all of our sins. Cosmic disturbances. At that time, God the Father's wrath against sin was being directed on his holy and spotless son because he was bearing our sins on that cross, in his body, on that tree. And creation, the sunlight of creation was sympathetic with that breach of fellowship between a holy father and a holy son, a breach of fellowship that had never taken place for all eternity and never will take place again after the cross. So this day of the Lord concept is big, important, and it's largely a time of God's outpouring of wrath on unrepented for sin. But as I mentioned earlier in these remarks about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord on the other side of the coin can also usher in times of physical blessings, of fruitfulness, and of prosperity. It just depends on what God purposes to do. And now, today's personal God story. Well, I'm pleased this morning to have in the radio studio my friend, Brother Clinton Cartwright. Good morning. Good morning. Pastor Cartwright works at Dalbina's agency as their personnel manager, and he serves as one of the pastors here at Calvary Bible Church. And we're going to try to help you understand some of his God story this morning. So, Pastor, where would you like to start when you think about the work that God has done in your life? Well, let's start at the beginning. My conversion came on February the 9th, 1986, on mm-hmm. a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that story itself, let me just, just a little background. About a year prior, I had subscribed to Decision Magazine through the Billy Graham Ministry. Yes. Because I was interested in their material, but at the time, unsaved. Mm-hmm. And having a, a subscription with them, my name was on the mailing list. And I had gotten a letter from the local Billy Graham ministry asking my willingness to counsel at a movie that was going to be shown at one of the theaters. Uh, At the end of the movie, the gospel will be shared. Yes. And so I quickly replied. Matter of fact, I called the number that was at the end of the letter um, expressing my willingness. Uh, At the time, I didn't 
you know, say anything to them that I, you know, was not a Christian. Uh, when I call, I, you know, I introduced myself as to who I was and why I was calling. And I was told to show up at the theater on the Friday night, the night the movie was going to start, and ask for the person in charge, uh, which I did. And when I showed up to the theater, I told the guy at the door taking tickets that I was supposed to help out as a counselor. Yes. And so he called the person in charge and, oh, yes, he was expecting you. So they let me in, gave me a a badge saying Billy Graham counselor. Yes. And I was given a handful of stocks and given instructions as to what to do at the end of the movie. Bear in mind, I was not a Christian. That's something. So at the end of the movie, as all the counselors went forward, the the leader of the group that night gave an invitation to anyone desiring to trust Christ for salvation to come forward. Mm -hmm. And all of us who was assisting were standing in a line along the stage. And I remember I was over to the far eastern corner. It was like all the people came to me, Mm. and some was for salvation and some was for prayer. I mean, giving us a handful of gospel tracks, and I didn't have a clue what was in the track. Wow. I didn't have a clue how to use the track, so I, I opened the track, and for the people who said they came for prayer, I went through all the steps to peace with Christ, and I shared it and then prayed the prayer at the end. That was the only prayer I knew that I could pray other than the Our Father prayer. And yeah. so after going through those steps and praying, uh, then I prayed the Our Father prayer, and I gave some a gospel track and gave them a magazine and I gave them a copy of the Gospel of John and they left. Yes. Saturday night, the same thing happened. I showed up at the theater. I got my stash of gospel tracks. And at the end of the movie, again, all of us lined up on the side of the, the stage. And as Dr. Graham gave the invitation, whoever wanted to come forward came forward. And... I was a little more familiar with the track at the second night, so I was able to ask, if you wanted to trust Christ for salvation, I can go through this track with you, and to the back of it, I can pray this prayer with you if you so desire, Mm -hmm. or if you only desire prayer, I can pray with you. So for those, I prayed our Father prayer, and they left, and for those who trusted Christ for salvation, I went through the track and then prayed the prayer uh, at the end of the track with them. Yes. The third night... It was basically the same thing, but God began to deal with me because here I was, a non-believer, praying and reading a tract to unsaved people, Mm -hmm. but I myself was not a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so on my way home, I kept hearing playing over and again and again in my mind. There was one segment in the movie where when Dr. Graham was saying that Jesus died for you Mm -hmm. but you're hearing me and you are rejecting me that played over and over and over in my mind until i get home and i don't understand all of what happened but when i knelt to say the our father prayer before i went to bed because that's what i've done that's how i was raised that's all i've done that's all i ever know is our father prayer at the end of the our father prayer i could not move i literally could not move i could not get up Mm -hmm. and so I, I, what, what the Lord brought to mind, I guess, at that time, I didn't know it, but I guess it was the Lord, the prayer on the back of the gospel track. 
Yes. And as best I could remember, I said, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what I'm feeling. But if this is the time that you are dealing with me to now pray this prayer that I should have prayed a long time ago, but this prayer that I was praying with others, if this is you speaking to me now, then I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart and save me from my sin. Beautiful. And so I prayed that prayer to the back of the truck. And it was then that I was able to get up hmm. and go to bed. That was the beginning of a transformation. Hmm. February the 9th, 1986. Hmm. 1992 is when we went full-time into the ministry. I became a counselor. I did training at the local Billy Graham office for, to be a counselor at the Billy Graham local telecast here. Yes. And... Um, I did that until we went into full-time ministry and then resumed after we got back. That is amazing that uh, the way the Holy Spirit drew you to Christ mm -hmm. and was that you had a willingness to serve the Lord mm -hmm. and you stepped up to do something you knew nothing about. Okay. And here you were being used of God even when you weren't in fellowship with God yet. Okay. That's the power of the gospel message. Yeah. And such a beautiful story that you, you cooperated with the Holy Spirit as he drew you to Christ and as you looked to that prayer that you'd help others to pray, yeah. and you made it personal. And maybe there's some people listening even today who have heard all about Jesus and all about the church and, you know, know when to bow on their knees in the service and when to stand and sing and mm -hmm. maybe even have the language of the church but really don't have the Lord of the church. See, I was in another denomination. Mm -hmm. I sang in the choir. Mm -hmm. I was active in, the, in that church, mm -hmm. but I didn't know the Lord. Yeah, sort of that adage I've heard that uh, going to church no more makes you a Christian than going into a garage makes you a mechanic. That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned going into the full-time ministry in 92, I think you said. Yes. yes what, yeah. what did that involve? Where did you serve? With whom? Okay, well, I felt called to full-time ministry to a ministry called His Mansion Ministries. Mm -hmm. uh, His Mansion is a ministry that reaches out to troubled young people, mm -hmm. whether it's drug and alcohol or suicidal or sexual abuse mm -hmm. uh, or depression. Mm -hmm. And we had a local ministry here in one of the out islands, Rumkey, mm -hmm. and that's where we served for 14 months until we relocated to New Hampshire to finish our commitment because we had originally signed up for three years, but we had only served 14 months in mm -hmm. Rumkey and we relocated to New Hampshire. That was a, a, a real, real growth experience for me because even though I knew neighbors or family members or even friends who had addictions to drug and alcohol, uh, I had never had close encounters with them. I'd never been that close or that involved in their lives until we got to Rumkey. They were actually living. We were living in the same compound. Mm -hmm. um, we had our separate space, but... Um, you know, we had Bible classes, we had counseling sessions, we had discipleship sessions, we had work crew, we had all our meals together, and in our social time, and then we worshiped together. Mm. So everything was done basically on the compound. Um, it was a similar setup in New Hampshire, 
the, we was all on the same property, but the one in New Hampshire was 360 acres, whereas in Rumkey was only 11. Mm -hmm. So it was a much bigger compound, but we did basically the same thing. In New Hampshire, I was able to start a, a male support group and train uh, another leader so we can keep splitting. But my wife and I primarily, we were house parents to unwed mothers. Mm. So young women who was into, on the streets into prostitution or whatever, drugs and alcohol, if they get pregnant, didn't have a place to go. But they wanted to keep their babies uh, and adopt them instead of abortion. We would take them in and minister to them. So my wife and I were house parents, but she worked mostly with the women. I only did devotions with them. I see. My primary ministry was to young men, discipleship, uh, Bible classes, reentry classes. And those reentry classes, you know, we taught them um, basic mechanics, how to, how to service your car, how to read a lease, classes on dating and marriage. It prepared them for reentering society after a year at his mansion. So they were able to function if they had to live on their own away from family. Because one of the things that we found was coming to stay with us at his mansion for a year and being transformed by a relationship with Christ, but going back to the same family, the same neighborhood, yes. they changed, but the family didn't. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we found was the families didn't know how to accept that change because when that individual left, they were either strung out on drugs, uh, stealing, or into prostitution. You know, their lifestyle was not good. And so they was distrusting, and so you know, there was very little contact coming back. You know, they only responded and based on what they remember, how sure. it was. And so that was a challenge. And so we tried to prepare them for that. And that was, you know, one of the main reasons for, for these reentry classes. It helps them to reenter or to reintegrate back into society as normally as they can. His Mansion Ministries was a wonderful experience for us. We were long time, considered long-time staff because we were married and uh, as opposed to being single. And so I had uh, an older gentleman who was like a father figure to me. Like I would go to him with issues, you know, and he would, he would disciple me. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife also had someone to disciple her. And I did the same for a younger fellows, you know. It was eye-opening. I'm it sure. Was, it was life-transforming. Uh, we really grew. Uh, we understood what living in the context of community is all about. It was a, it's a rich, rich experience. My kids... Um, oh man, they always talk about New Hampshire and their love for New Hampshire. My daughter was born in New Hampshire. That's uh, wonderful. Yeah. You mentioned more than once uh, how it was a, a growth experience to work in the ministry at his mansion. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, uh, this is a hard question probably, but maybe two or three of the most uh, important things God taught you in those years of, of serving in that way. The importance of family. You know, in ministry, we get so committed to what we do. Sometimes our families lose out, our families get pushed to the side. And I remember when we got the very first meeting I had with the leadership, when I first got there, they encouraged me to never ever allow my family to suffer as a result of the ministry. Mm -hmm. Because the nature of the ministry, the nature of the, the people we work with, it takes a lot out of you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, they encouraged us to always, always take time off. Always take time off. Yes. Be careful. Be careful of burnout. Be careful of getting too emotionally involved in the lives of the students. 
that you take your problems home. Mm-hmm. And so because he said, you know, if you if your family's affected, your ministry will be affected. Yes. And so that's, I, I really, really appreciated how they emphasize how valuable the family really is. And they made time uh, for us to have family time. Another thing, too, that um, I really came to appreciate was to, to be expressive in worship. As one of the things, too, I came to appreciate the emphasis on worship, where you can be expressive to worship and not be hindered by what other people think who's right beside you. Mm-hmm. To be free in your worship, because that's what God would want. Yes. Not to be a distraction to other people, you know, but expressive in your worship. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. Those are wonderful things. No doubt you've seen how God's Word, the Bible, has a, a power to to transform troubled individuals. Um, I wonder what you might say, uh, Pastor Clinton, this morning to the person in Nassau or on a family island who is struggling with some of the sins that you mentioned that the young people were struggling with, with whom you worked. And maybe they don't know what to do. They, maybe they have an addiction or maybe they have an unexpected pregnancy or or maybe they find themselves without any direction in life. They're just despondent. What would you think would be good advice for a person that might be listening this morning with those kind of issues? Please, please do not suffer in silence. If, if you are experiencing any type of life-controlling issue that, um, you know, seek out a pastor, seek out a trusted friend, uh, seek out a school teacher, somebody who, who would be in a position to sit and listen and hear you out. Please do not suffer in silence. Please share with someone whatever struggle or, or challenge you may be facing and they can pray with you, encourage you, or point you in the right direction. Or if it's a, a young man uh, struggling with uh, drug and alcohol issues, we have the Haven, we have Teen Challenge, we have Bash. They are all trained. They have a place where you can stay. They have counselors and they have information that you really need. Um, you have the Crisis Pregnancy Center for young women who may be struggling with abortion. You may have challenges where you find yourself uh, out on the street and pregnant. Recently now, there's a Godparent Center. Um, there are a number of people you can call to seek help. You can call our church, our assembly, Calvary Bible Church, 3260800. That's right. Please don't suffer in silence. Pastor Clinton, thank you so much for being with me this morning. Well, you're welcome. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.